from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Thinking sideways. I don't understand. stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Thinking Sideways, the podcast. I'm Devin, joined, as always, by... Joe. And... Steve. And we're going to do a group show again this week. Uh, we do these every once in a while. Not mm-hmm. not too frequently. We don't want to bore you <laughs> with our oh, format, but oh, they we... All, they all bore them. We tend to do our group shows on a theme. Yep. And this week, our theme is time travel. Don't worry, it won't be the only episode we ever do on time travel. Calm down. But Mm -hmm. we've been getting a lot of time travel requests. And I can Mm -hmm. hear you hyperventilating. But we all have stories that we really liked that we thought maybe didn't make up an entire episode. So we're just going to each talk about our stories. You guys ready to do this? Let's do it. Okay. Oh, and before we get too far into this, we always like to say big shout out to this listener for suggesting this, but literally all of these have literally been suggested like five or six times. They have. <laughs> so if you suggested it, congratulations, you're a suggester for the Team Sideways time travel group show special extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, what we're calling this one, right? Give yourself a pat the, on the time back. travel extravaganza? No, I know it was a longer yeah. name than that. The time time but, travel time travel palooza. Time travel palooza. That's what it is. Okay, all right. All Let's right. start the time travel palooza. So I think Joe is going to start first. Yeah, we're so, going to just do chronological, right? Yeah, exactly. People Great. have been popping into the 20th century at various times, and so we'll start with the earliest one. 
This one starts in 1950. Uh, one night in mid-June at about 11.15 p.m. in New York City, witnesses, including a police officer, saw a man standing in the middle of a busy intersection near Times Square. Some accounts of this put it right in Times Square. Uh, but anyway, somewhere close by there. He, uh, people, nobody had noticed him walking out into the street, but they saw him standing there, and he was staring around him, quote, gawking at the signs as if he had never seen an electric sign before, unquote, as one witness put it. Uh, and they seemed to notice that he was surrounded by fast-moving metal boxes and started to, <laughs> started to move towards the sidewalk, but he unfortunately was run over by a cab, and he died at the scene. Oh. This is why I don't like cabs. Yeah. yeah. So a short trip for this guy, this time traveler. A policeman, uh, the policeman that was there noticed that the man was dressed oddly and that he had some very unstylish mutton chop sideburns, like were popular like way back when. Yeah, but it's New York, so it's hard to tell. That's true. Well, yeah. and they're popular today. Yeah. yeah. But he was wearing old-style clothes, a suit coat, uh, had a high-cut vest with lapels, he had black-and-white checked pants and high-button shoes. and uh, Essentially, he was wearing 19th-century clothing in 1950s New York, so that seemed a little odd. He was taken to the morgue, uh, his body was taken to the morgue, and it was searched, and some things were found in his pockets. Number one, some business cards with the name Rudolph Fence, that's F-E-N-T-Z. So that is our time traveler, Rudolph Fence. Uh, the, the cards also had an address on Fifth Avenue. Uh, there was a letter to him sent to that Fifth Avenue address, dated June 1876, from Philadelphia. A copper token, and some, uh, in some accounts of this I've seen it uh, as a, a brass token, but essentially, it was a beer token. For, it was a five-cent a, a five beer token from a saloon, which uh, was unknown. It didn't exist. He also had $70 in old currency, old American currency, which is no longer in circulation. And he had a bill from a livery stable on Lexington Avenue in New York, which uh, was made out, quote, to the feeding and stabling of one horse and the washing of one carriage. And the bill was for $3. Aww. Yeah, it was a lot cheaper back then. Way cheaper. And of course, the livery stable didn't exist either. Of but, course. But what's interesting about the stuff, it wasn't like the, the letter, for example, wasn't old and wasn't aged or anything like that, even though it was a 75-year-old letter. Mm. Well, that, that was the one thing yeah. I was going to say, is I know that that's what stood out in uh, most of the accountings that I read, is the letter and the money, mm. none of it seemed to be stuff that had just stood the test of time. Yeah, it wasn't, worn all, down. It wasn't all antiques and stuff. And it, were they able to actually date it to those times, or was it just kind of like, oh, it has this date on it, so it must be from this time? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cur our currency does has been has changed over the years quite a bit. Sure, so. and most of it's taken out of circulation, so it'd be a fairly mm -hmm. long con for somebody to have just had these laying around, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I can't see why what what game you would be playing to have that on well, you. Well, you hid it under your shoebox and mm -hmm. under your shoebox. In your shoebox? Under your bed, no. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's exactly it. No, it is actually um, entirely possible that this guy, this guy actually got, assembled this whole thing, very elaborate thing, and then and deliberately committed suicide by flinging himself in front, of a, in front of a cab. Well, like, we did talk about this in the Voynich Manuscripts, right, is that it's possible that somebody hoarded all of that paper, right? We were having a hard time dating it, blah, 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 blah. Yes. It's possible that somebody hoarded all that paper. It's possible that somebody hoarded old currency for instance thinking sure. oh it'll gain value some other time i mean that is a thing it is uh but it seems like the clothes seems wrong and i don't know sorry mm -hmm. i'll let you continue yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna let you finish but yeah, okay anyway now back to our mystery our mysterious time traveler here um 
uh, there's a, a, a Captain Hubert Rim. I'm going to call him Rim. I think it's think? Rim. Rim Rick sounds Rim. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Hubert Rim of the Missing Persons Department of the NYPD tried to identify Rudolph Fence um, and tried to track him down and see where he came from. They looked in the phone book, and he was not in the phone book. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, let's just pull out the old phone book here. See, this is one of those times where Joe's phone book comes in handy. Yeah, I, I know. Guess. Makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they... Fence. In the 1800s. Yeah. Impersonator. No? That's not a thing? Not in the phone book? We can't just find him under that? No. <laughs> you would look him up in the phone book under, like, 1800s impersonator? Oh. Oh. Yeah, that, that would <laughs> oh be God. in the yellow pages. Failed joke. I'm no. so sorry. No, that's okay. Don't worry about uh. it. Uh, they were looking in the white pages, not the yellow pages. Uh, they also ran his fingerprints. They couldn't find any, any record of his fingerprints. And they, were, they would check the missing persons report to see if somebody reported him missing. And nobody had. He went to the address that was on the Fifth, Ave- the Fifth Avenue address. This is the police the captain. Yeah, the, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it says your rim. Uh, he went to that address on Fifth Avenue, and it, it was a store, uh, and the current owner didn't know of any Rudolph fence. So his next bright idea was to go through old phone books, which, you know, I don't know if the library stores those or if the, if the police department st- has a, keeps a stash of those or what. I have no idea what the protocol would be at that time for, for I mean, their, their documentation. Mm-hmm. There's something that I imagine at the time were useful, but mm-hmm. I have no idea where you would go to find those in 1950s. The library. Maybe. You think it was the library? Well, they, that's where they you know, archive all of the old newspapers and things like that. I presume you would keep records like that as well. That's... Put them on the what's, the, what's the tape that they put it on? Microfiche? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How old is that? That's 50s, right? Well, I'm guessing Seems at like least. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it had to have been around. So... Uh, Already, we're way off track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, let's just assume that the NYPD had a stash of phone books for, for purposes like this. And yes. so he started going through old phone books and finally found a, from a phone book dated 1939, he found a Rudolph Fence Jr. with a New York address. He went to that address, this is Rim, our, our policeman, and found that it was an apartment building. And he found a few residents of the building who remembered Fence um, because, remember, this is only... 11 years before. I don't think people moved as often back in those days as they do now. That would make sense. Yeah. They said when they last, they last remembered it was being a man of around 60 years or so who worked, who had worked at a bank somewhere close by. And they said that he moved out after his retirement in 1940 and, and moved away and nobody knew where. But that, that was a clue. Rim contacted the bank that Fence had worked at. The bank said that Fence had died five years before, but that his widow was still alive and living in Florida. Isn't it always Florida? I know. Well, it's, it's down there at the bottom, so that's where everything sort of like, just you know, falls out. It all just, goes yeah, downhill. It yeah. just sort of rolls downhill and winds up there. <laughs> that's how that works. Rim tracked the tracked the widow down, and uh, they had they established. A, I don't, he didn't travel to Florida, but they established a correspondence, and uh, she told him that Rudolph Fence Senior, which would be her late husband's father, had disappeared in the spring of 1876 at the age of 29. Very mysterious. So, 1976. Yeah, 74 yeah. years before. If the guy was... Uh, okay, I guess yeah. the math kind okay. of works. Yeah, the math. Uh, I was doing the same yeah. thing. Mental yeah. math, not yeah. my high stand. My Nor best. mine. Nah, nah, let me get a calculator. Uh, <laughs> Rudolph Fence Sr. had a wife who did not like him smoking his cigars in the house. Weird. So he'd, he'd, he'd gotten into the habit of taking a stroll around the neighborhood while smoking. 
and he'd, he'd always do it at night before going to bed. It's his last smoke of the day. Mm-hmm. One night he left for his walk around 10 p.m., and he was never seen or heard from again. Weird. Wow. Next up, our, our policeman, Captain Rim, checked the NYPD's missing persons files for 1876. And sure enough, there was Rudolph Fence. Weird. And, yeah, in the missing persons report, it, it, the, the clothes that he was last seen wearing were identical to the ones that he was found in in 1950. So this is like a, a dead ringer match. Mm-hmm. Same guy, Rudolph Fence, disappears and then reappears, and then at the still at the age of 29, 74 years later. So he just what wandered into like a wormhole in time and just popped a, out. Yeah, hit a time portal and boom. I really yeah. hate those things. They always yeah. crop up at the worst time. Yeah, right. That's why I always, I, you know, it, it, just in case I get transported into the past, you know, I always carry a Glock 9mm and a thousand rounds of ammo. <laughs> just in case I'm transported back to medieval times, I'll be, I'll be the king of everything. Yeah. It'll be great. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You would be. Yeah. This is my boomstick. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what movie was that from where the guy called it his boomstick? It was the... Um... Sounds like something Arnold would say. Evil, was it Evil Dead? Oh, Bruce uh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, it was Bruce Campbell. Did it in Evil Dead, and he had a he had a gun, and he called it his boomstick. That's the worst thing I ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I love it. It's a great movie. Oh yeah, it's a good movie. So so mystery solved? No. No mystery not solved. It's a huge mystery. Hmm. Yeah, it was. It, it you know, got published quite a large number of times. It got published all over the place. And of course, after the as, after the internet arose, it got published even more on the oh, interwebs. Yeah. Until two thousand, the year two thousand, a Spanish magazine published uh, the same story. I mean, they published it as a factual report, and that caught the attention of a folklore researcher named Chris Abeck. Wait, so before that, everybody had been printing it as kind of an anecdotal story? Yeah, it's uh, basically like you know, it's circulated like an urban legend. It was, okay, it was like this story, and and a lot of a lot of like unsolved mysteries websites and. Things like that would, you know, publish this, or they'd it appear in magazines and books and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Pulp Fiction stuff like that. I got uh-huh. you. Yeah, yeah. St- Tales from the Strange. Yeah. In 2001, uh, Abeck discovered that the tale actually began life as part of a short story that was written by a sci-fi author named Jack Finney. Who I don't know if you guys have heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something interesting about Jack Finney I didn't know until I started researching this, is that his 1955 book, The, Bo- the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. was adapted into the, the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. I did not know that. I did not oh. know it was him. I didn't. I didn't know he was the one who came up with the story. Oh. But sci-fi classic, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. that's what you get from for having a mom like mine. Oh, okay. Just, just grew up on B movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, back to Jack Finney. So he published uh, uh, the story, a short story, in Collier's Magazine in 1951. That was in September 51. Story was called "I'm Scared." Then two years later, a guy That's named... That's a terrible title. Yeah, well, yeah. You was it, from, it. it must have been from the point of view of Fence, right? Um, I haven't read the story yet, and mm. I don't know if I will, actually. <laughs> I fair. probably will at some point. Two years later, a guy named Ralph Holland came along. He was part of a group of people called the Borderland Sciences Research Foundation, which was mm. dedicated to UFOs and, you mm. know, and all sorts of weird phenomenon, stuff like that. Fancy name for the tin hat. Yeah, these guys are still around and they have a website. Um, hmm. I've, got a, I've got a link here to their, their thing on Rudolph Fence. Oh, I'll click that right here on this paper. Yeah, just yeah, put your finger on that and go click, click. That's how that works, right? Yeah, and they, you know, on this one, uh, after recounting the whole story of Fence, they, they explain how these time travel events happen. Did, how? Well, it's like imagine it's the fourth dimension, essentially, is mm-hmm. what they say. 
So the third dimension, imagine the third dimension is a sphere, a rotating sphere. And, it's, and, yeah, a flat and, circle. And it's nestled, it's nestled inside another sphere, yeah. another larger sphere, which is a fourth dimension. Mm-hmm. Both of these spheres have holes in them, small and large. And when they're all, they're both turning, and when they, on two of those holes align, well, you got your time portal. Which is why it's so infrequent and unheard of. Yeah, I mean, time portals could be op- opening up all over the place, but if just, say, you know, a, a piece of cloud steps into one, well, it's, you know, that's not a huge thing. Maybe, you know, maybe a squirrel jumps into a time portal and gets transported <laughs> just, you know, 100 years into the future. Or I suddenly whatever. love the idea of time-traveling squirrels. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I, I didn't find their explanation terribly convincing myself. It's fair. Yeah. Borderland Sciences published a regular pamphlet promoting their views. It was called the Journal of Borderland Research. And this story appeared in it in 1972. It, it, it was footnoted. It footnoted the source of the story was a book called A Voice from the Gallery, which was published in 1953 by Ralph Holland. He took, he, he took the Finney story and essentially reworked it so it didn't appear to be an actual short story, made it sound like it was the real deal, a real a documented, mm-hmm. and, and of course didn't give Jack Finney any credit and, and claimed that it was all true and put it in his book. Chris Abeck traced the story back as far as the 1953 book. And then after he published an article about the Fence story and, and what he had found, he was contacted by a pastor named George Murphy who had recognized the story. I guess he wrote, he, I guess he was a sci-fi fan or mm. a regular reader of Collier's, whatever, but he'd recognized the story and he told Abeck about the original Finney story in Collier's Magazine oh, in 1951. Okay. So it's the a mystery was solved. Story. So it started out as a short story, and then a guy, a guy plagiarized it two years later, mm. and then somebody, and then, and then it, it was circulating around, and then it got re-plagiarized in 72 by the Borderlands guys, who Holland was affiliated with. And next thing you know, it's this big old urban legend. See, this is why you don't steal. Yeah, guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, plagiarism is not, uh, it's not a classy thing to do. So one further little twist to the story is, uh, and I'm not sure if this is true. I didn't, uh, was not able to actually verify. I only found it in one spot as well. Me too, exactly. But I'll I'll throw it anyway for fun. Uh, In 2007, a researcher who was working for the Berlin Berlin News Archive found a newspaper story in their archives in German, of course. But it was from April 1951, reporting the story almost exactly as it's reported today. Now this would this would have been printed months prior to the Finney story appearing in Collier's. Hmm. Yeah. Well, but it's entirely likely that the story had been put out several times. I mean, writers do that. They submit it to more than one place. But mm-hmm. probably but, mostly but in German, the same language. Yeah, German magazine? I don't know. Well, was the was the article was it it, it was the story entirely in German? It it wasn't it wasn't like they got it somewhere and they translated it to reprint it themselves. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm to understand? Well, you know, it's entirely possible that he actually wrote the story a couple of years before and he'd been shopping it around to a number of periodicals and that's and, that's and somebody, what I'm I'm getting at. Yeah, and then somebody ripped him off and it winds up somebody somebody some some German guy says, "Hey, let's translate this to German because we're even less likely to get caught, get busted for plagiarism." Yeah, because the story you know, obviously got ripped off a couple story. of times. Yeah, the story got ripped off many times. Yeah, uh, another another odd fact, and this is again something I can't I can't corroborate, but researchers have actually claimed to have found evidence of the real Rudolph Fence, who a, a real Rudolph Fence who disappeared in 1876 at age 29. Yeah, again, this is, uh, I think this is something somebody probably made up, but you never know. 
Yeah, I would want to know how they found that. Sounds like something yeah. we should probably set the interns on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's just a story. Just a made-up story. But maybe not. We'll find out when the interns come back with their information. Uh-huh. Well, they're going to dig into it. They'll, they'll find something. Yeah. Well, next up is my story. Yeah. Okay. Let's um, have yours. Okay. Why not? July 1954, Tokyo. Officials are monitoring passengers who are deplaning or maybe also checking passports. It's hard to tell. The 1950s security was like, okay. Not existent. I mean, it existed. You know, this was just post-World War II. It's kind of the time when security was higher. Most of the time that I've read this story, I've read that the officials were just, for whatever reason, watching people deplane. And they spot a man that they, for reasons unknown, find suspicious. Um, he's a fairly conventional-looking Caucasian male. But they decide to employ the very first line of defense in this situation. They check his passport. (laughs) Batons! No. They check his passport. Uh That's what you usually do. If somebody's looking a little suspicious, you say, excuse me, sir, can I check your passport? The easy way to stop somebody. Yeah. So it's clearly a passport, a real passport, that bears all of the typical security indicators, which I guess you can't forge and are, like, international. Which I think that's true. Most of the passports you see look basically the same. They have a different color cover, different seal on the front. But for the most part... They're organized are basically the same. Yes, yeah, and from they all country have, to country. They all have very typical security things that you can't forge necessarily. I don't know. I, I, I'm not familiar they do, with... You know, like they have the foil inlays and the seals and all of that stuff that you're not... Uh, passports are not forgeable by nature. Well, right? but this is 1954. Yeah, but even then, there's no point in issuing something that you can easily forge. Actual they stamps. They had visa stamps. Yeah, so visa yeah. stamps, but also, you know, the stamps over the picture of the passport... Things like that. Impressions looked, in the paper. Yeah, it looked really official. Just I, suffice I to say, it, okay, it I, wasn't clearly a forgery or anything like that. It's generally accepted. It looked like it was real. The only problem was that the country of issuance was ta- Tared. 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 I don't know. That's how we're saying it. Tared. I'm going with either of those. Okay. And as you're probably aware, I know you guys are, most of our listeners probably are, that's not a country. Yeah. <laughs> not one that we know of. I don't think it's even a town. No, and not on Earth, at least, and definitely not currently, and not in the 50s, either. So, obviously, they decide to take this guy in for a little more questioning. He's got a passport from a place that doesn't exist. This yeah, would be a, a problem. Little, yeah. It's a little strange. Yeah. But apparently, this man spoke fluent Japanese. And upon further inspection of his passport, they found that it had lots of those stamps that we were just talking about, the visa stamps, many of which were actually from Tokyo. So he'd so he, been through Tokyo with no problem before, apparently, on this passport, which is odd, right? The officials continue to question the man, and they ask him just, you know, to show him where they're, where he's from. You know, I maybe, I guess the rationale is maybe he has a speech impediment. Maybe, maybe he's just saying it weird. Also, there's a lot of countries in the world. Maybe, maybe we missed one. But, we missed one. But, I mean, well, and, it wasn't just, he wasn't just saying it, though. I mean, it was written on his passport, too. Right, right, right. right. But if... But if English is not their first language. They may be questioning he what they're hearing. Japanese. Oh, he was. Well, he was I'm just saying, Japanese. Is, you know, if, if English is not his first language and he's saying a word that they don't know, they're going to presume it's something native to him, I would guess. If Japanese isn't his first language? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So it's possible that he's pronouncing it weird or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, although, as Joe points out, it is It is written on written. the passport. Right. So they show him a, a map or a globe or something. And they say, all right, just point, tell us where you're from, point at it. 
and he he points um, at a place confidently at the nation of his origin. It's been there forever. That's where he's from. But becomes very confused and angry when he actually looks at the map because the country that he was pointing out was not Tarud. Tarud? Tarud. 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 I'm going to say Tarud because that's how I keep saying it in my brain. Let's call it Trude. It's not his beloved homeland, but instead it's the Principality of Andorra. I have never you heard guys, of Andorra. It's really small, you guys. That's, this is let's let's talk about Andorra for a second. That's Andorra, one of those postage stamps. Yeah, for those of you like things. who don't know, yeah. it's the sixth smallest country in Europe, and it is a hundred and eighty-one square miles, and has a population of about eighty-five thousand people in two thousand thirteen. That was mm. the last number that I could find. Okay, that's small. Tiny. Yeah, that's less yeah. people actually that down than download this podcast every month. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good statistic for you. Take that, Andorra. Yeah, Andorra. (laughs) It's uh, landlocked between France and Spain. It was formed in 1278 AD or CE, whichever you go by. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be going pretty strong. But according to this mysterious man, Tarud should have been there. It had existed for a thousand years at least. So there's that. That would be frustrating. Mm -hmm. Officials decided to explore his story more. So they look through his things. They found a lot of different European currencies because, you know, this is pre-Euro, you remember? Yeah. I know some of you are too young to remember times like that, but even I remember the pre-Euro days. (laughs) I know. It hasn't been around that long. Just long enough to really screw everything up. Well, and this man was actually able to produce a, quote, valid, unquote, driver's license from Tarud, credit cards, bank documents, and business papers. A lead, the Japanese investigators shouted. So the Japanese investigators followed this lead, which I guess, you know, you guys don't think they yelled in excitement. A lead! (laughs) Fine, whatever. I'm telling the story, so I get to do whatever I want. Anyways, they contacted this bank, which was a real bank. um, And though they verified somehow that the documents were real, they couldn't verify that his account or he existed. That's weird, right? Yeah, that's unusual. You know, they said, oh, yeah, it's our letterhead, it's our seal, it's a blah, blah, blah. You can't just download it from the internet no. in the 1950s. No, you can't. You know, so he had this stuff in his possession, but they said, oh, it's account number, blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, that doesn't exist. And they said, well, mm-hmm. it's under this name, which, by the way, there's no name actually associated with this story. Well, that guy. But they yeah. said, oh, it's in this name. And they said, well, that guy doesn't have an account here, so I don't know what you're dealing with. They also then contacted his place of work, which was a real business. And again, they could not explain how the man had so much documentation that he worked for him, but they didn't have record of him existing or being an employee. This is really weird. It's really weird, right? He has all this documentation that should prove that he exists. He's seems to be very sincere and cooperative and actually genuinely confused about why the place that he is from doesn't exist. But Everything else seems to be normal to him. You know, he's dressed in normal clothes. He speaks fluent Japanese. He has actual currency from actual places. Did he have any from Tared? I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. I presume he did because he was from there, but he had a driver's license from there, but there you have it. Anyways, this this interrogation and fact-checking and all of that stuff, it took about eight hours, at which point all parties were basically just tired. He wasn't being uncooperative. They, but you know, they, they weren't getting anywhere, but they, they weren't getting anywhere. Cause they were just, they was all dead ends. 
So the police decided to just place the man in a guarded hotel room at night. They didn't, you know, they didn't want to lock him up in jail. He hadn't really actually technically broken any laws. You yeah. gotta love Japanese you know? hospitality. I know. Technically, he didn't break any laws. He was being cooperative. He was being sincere. He was genuinely confused and frustrated and scared. So they thought, well, we'll just put him in the hotel. We'll just, you know, have a guard posted outside and it'll be fine. Of course, they picked a room. There was a small window a ledge, no ledge, you know, things like that. Minor security measures that you would. But basically, I think they seemed to feel bad for the guy. They allowed him to have dinner at the hotel restaurant and then escorted him back to his hotel room. And all parties agreed, including this man, that they would just continue to try and get to the bottom of it in the morning because everybody kind of wanted to know what was going on. When they went to go get him in the morning, he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. He was gone. He just left. Yeah, well, I don't know he checked he... out. Uh, he didn't check out. He had a guard, there was a right? guard posted outside the only door that could get him out of the place. And he said the door didn't open all night. He didn't hear anything unusual. There was no suspicious behavior. There was just a small window leading out of the room and there was no ledge or anything. And it was on a busy street. It's like was the second high or up. third story or yeah, something like that. I think it was that. higher than that. I, my, was it was it? my impression it was the fifth or sixth. Were there any great blinding flashes of light? Not as far. I mean, you know, the, the guard said nothing unusual to report, just went to knock on the door and then suddenly there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. So the Japanese officials, of course, mounted a search. Mm-hmm. And, but then about after a day decided, Nah, we're not going to find him. So they just stopped looking for him. And I guess it decided, is. I think they probably just decided it was all too weird and they would just leave it be. It's Tokyo, right? Yeah. There's a gazillion people in Tokyo, even yeah. in 1954. Absolutely. I can imagine trying to find him. Even even a white guy, mm-hmm. w- when there's enough people around, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to track yeah, down. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they're well, actually... Sorry, go ahead. So this, so this guy was a time traveler from the future, correct? I don't I don't think it's from the future. He was modern to that time, right? Uh, it wasn't it didn't seem as though he'd been blasted from the future back in, the in. You know, his clothes were very authentic to the time, things like that. So actually there are a couple theories about this. One is that he he just came from an alternate reality. I mean, you know, we know that there are an infinite possibilities of worlds that exist in, in this universe or in multiple universes. That is... With the multiverse theory. The multiverse mm-hmm. theory you is know. a thing, yeah. So I guess yeah. it's possible that this man came from an alternate dimension, an alternate dimension Earth even, in which the only difference was a tiny sovereign country. Or oh, the only sorry. difference that they found out about. Right. Which this falls into that same fourth dimension holes lining up somebody accidentally sort of popping through thing joe through. was talking through yeah yeah you know it's it's totally possible that he just popped into our universe not from a different time but from a different universe mm-hmm. that was the only really difference that again that we could you know discern i think that he probably would have said other things if if he realized he would have maybe said oh well, yeah, and then there's this war happening, and they would have said, what? what? Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, why are you guys all not wearing green right now? You know, things like that. Yeah. Little things. Yeah. Um, but if there are, in the multiverse theory, that is literally a possibility. Literally, you know, there could be a universe where the only possibility is that uh, Steve has hair. 
That's the only difference yeah. in the universe. Yeah. I have hair. Well, it's clear. Mm. I have a full head of hair. hair. It's just clear. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Anyways, there's you know, another actually, theory. But you know, actually, this, this actually suggests a way to solve the mystery. If, if, if these these clods had only thought of it back then, which is that Andorra. If, in, if the only difference is that Andorra, in our world, was named Torred in the other world, then mm-hmm. there's got to be a copy of this guy living in Andorra. And there's only 85,000 people, so it would have been a simple matter to interrogate everybody. Every single one of them. Yeah, that would be totally (laughs) easy, Joe. You're right. Yeah. You're totally right. Of course. No. There's another theory here, less metaphysical. It is possible that this man was brainwashed, right? He was genuinely confused. It's possible that he had been brainwashed and led to believe that he was from a country that didn't exist. Maybe for a recon mission, it's also possible... A recon you know, mission into Japan? Well, to see if he could get in, right? I mean, he gets in on a fake passport, or how long does it take them to actually react or whatever? Or notice it. Yeah, if, you, if, you are a, if you're trying to invade a country or if you're trying to like sneak in for whatever reason, will people notice something and how far can you push the forgery, for mm. instance, if it was a forgery? How far can you push... That document, how far can you push that before officials will actually notice? So they're testing their Japanese security, though. Yeah, absolutely. They could also, it could also have been a dark government ploy gone awry. Yeah, I was just thinking it could have been like some spy con kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. And, well, once you have a story, you stick to it. Yeah. Until you escape, you stick to your story. But if you're going to be, if you're actually going to be a kind of a, a spy trying to slip into the country, you know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to have a passport from a phony country. Yeah, why wouldn't you just do the same country? The thing that I actually think is valid in this, though, is that the passport was stamped a number of times. And typically, if you're just bringing the passport up to somebody for your visa stamp, they see it stamped before. They're just going to assume that's a good passport. They don't need to check it, stamp it, and send you on your way. Particularly if you're deplaning with hundreds of people, right? It's mm-hmm. easier to just get lost in that crowd and have them just keep stamping. Unfortunately, <laughs> similar yeah. to Steve, to Joe's story, it's just a story. Uh, the original source for the story was a book called The Directory of Possibilities. And I've actually read the portion of this book that pertains to this. And it's definitely literally just a story. Really? Sorry, guys. So that this, that it explicitly states in this book, this is all just fiction? No, but it's clearly, it doesn't try and claim, oh, and here's a source for it, and here's another mm-hmm. source for it. It's just a directory of possibilities where they tell a bunch of sci-fi stories, and they say, well, these this might have happened. Bow. Well, I don't know. Well. Maybe. So, sorry. It's a just a short story fiction book. Yeah. Got it. Like, like my story, it uh, turned into an urban legend. Yeah. The, actually, that book contains uh, within it a lot of, kind of popped out of into history dimensions stories. Um, mm. Rudolph Fence may even be in there. The next one that we've got would be my story. Yeah. Which is the Chronologically sto- next. Chronologically next. And this one's going to be true. <laughs> is uh, John Titor or Teeter? I've, I've heard I the name. I always say Titor. I've heard it pronounced a couple of different ways. Uh, I'm just going to go with Teeter. That's yeah. fine, Teeter. Uh, the story of John Teeter is John Teeter is the name of a self-proclaimed time traveler from the year 2036. Yeah. He first appeared on internet forums for the Time Travel Institute on the 2nd of November, 2000. Mm. 
but he wasn't calling himself John Teeter. He was instead calling himself or using his, his handle time traveler underscore zero. Well, he must have gotten on there pretty quick because yeah. <laughs> seems like that would have been taken pretty easily. On the easily. time travel institute forum, you would yeah. think that that's probably why he had the zero. Mm. Probably because Even somebody that. else got time traveler. Yeah. Okay. It's time travel. Or time, it time travel. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's probably one of the moderators. Mm. Um, <laughs> Teeter would go on to make claims or predictions about future events and provide descriptions of how time travel worked. And then he would, quote unquote, leave us on the 24th of March, 2001. You mean he went back to the future? Apparently. Huh. So he came, spent about five months in, in the 21st century and then left, huh? Yeah. The original post, as the name of the forum, Time Travel Institute, uh, or the forum would indicate, were, uh, were about time travel. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he started using the forums in 2001. January, right? Yeah, January of 2001 for the now defunct Art Bell forums that the name John Teeter came about. Okay. And that's that's because they required a name instead of just a handle, right? That is absolutely yeah. correct. They required an actual name instead of just some made-up whatever you wanted to use. Now, the I, I just briefly mentioned there is the Art Bell forums aren't in existence anymore, but mm-hmm. people liked or were so interested in what Teeter said that they actually copied them and put them onto other sites and eventually that all got commingled into one location again. Mm-hmm. But here's here's what he claimed. He said that he was a soldier sent from the year 2036 and a computer virus and or bug. I never was quite clear bug. on this. Is it's it a, a bug. Okay. Because yeah. I've seen it called a virus. I've seen it called a bug. It's a bug. Okay. Was going to wipe out the computers in his world, Mm -hmm. and his mission was to head back to 1975 in order to get an IBM 5100 computer, which was had evidently the necessary equipment to fight that bug. Yeah, it was to fix it. I think you're going to talk about this a little bit, but it is an actual thing. It it really That was actually happening at that time that very few people knew about. Yes, that is correct. Well, yeah. The IBM 5100, you mean? Yeah. No, the bug... Well, yeah, here, here's what it is, is, is the, the IBM 5100 people say, and, or we've figured out, it has the ability to read both APL, which I believe stands for a programming language, mm-hmm. actually, and basic code. No one knew until after Teeter's posts had stopped that what he was saying was accurate and, and Indeed, engineers from IBM confirmed that, yes, this computer from 1975 was able to use both of these codes, both um, APL and BASIC. I, I, think, I think almost, I think just about any computer can use those things. I don't, I... I mean, I, the thing about it is, it's like... I, I have very limited programming knowledge. I will admit that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially, um, the way it works is any computer, the only language it speaks is machine code like hex, hexadecimal code. And then if you want to run a, a language like C++, then you've got to either get an interpreter or a compiler. So you write your program in C++ or in BASIC or in APL, and then you compile it. 
the compiler translates that into the machine code that the computer actually knows. Does that make sense? Some, but I, but I don't, I'm I'm guessing that not every computer can read every other computer's compiled code. That's why I can't well, put no, something from a, Windows on an Apple computer. Yeah, I mean you got to get a compiler that's specific to that particular type of machine. Sure, and, and I so. think that's what basically what the IBM 5100 was all about. But mm, but here's the reason that they're after it is that. There is an issue with Unix or Unix-based code. Which is everything. Which is... Uh, Just to clarify. Most everything, every, yeah. Every operating system we use at this point is Unix-based. Is it now? Okay. Again, I'm programming, not my wheelhouse. Uh, the, the thing is, is everybody will remember the whole kerbuffle of Y2K yep. and how it was going to screw up the banking system because mm -hmm. of the way the numbers go. Mm -hmm. Well, there's the same issue with Unix. It's called the year 2038 problem. Mm -hmm. Sim this Again, I, I had to simplify this just to wrap my head around it. What it means is that there's going to be an issue at three hours, 14 seconds, or 14 minutes, seven seconds, universal time code, is that what UTC stands for? Okay. On the 19th of January, 2038, at which point, because of the way that Unix encodes the date, time in binary format, it's not going to be able to record it properly anymore, and its clocks are going to jump back to 1901. Um, it runs out of space. Is it runs out of space, or it starts over to what those old well, ones were? So it only has a, a specific number of slots, right? Correct. Uh. Right. So it can't be an infinite, oh, we'll just have all of this binary code go on forever. So I, I from what I understand from the research that I did about this, mm -hmm. is that what happens at that very second is that you hit the limit, so it's going to restart. Yeah. At 1901. Yeah. Or whatever the computer thinks. But th really, the main problem is it runs out of out of things. It can't go to the next second. Yeah, it can't, it can't go, go to, to 11. eight seconds. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. my understanding. But again, I'm not a I'm not. Yeah. I, I, I've used Unix actually in my jo in jobs in the past. I don't recall ever hearing about this particular issue. Well, that's be because it's been solved at this point. It's not a, it's, n it's a non-issue. Uh -huh. But it, at this time in programming history, it mm. was an issue that IBM actually knew about and mm. that they were not advertising for reasons that are probably fairly clear. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. And actually that, you know, as Steve was saying, IBM knew about it and they confirmed it after this story because a bunch of people were saying, well, IBM, is this true? Can you validate this? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we weren't really going to tell anybody, but yes. And apparently it was one of those things that very few people knew about outside of IBM. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. That's and, what I've read. And, and in, in Teeter's time as well as ours, um, you know, like Devin was talking about, everything was Unix-based, so it was going to cause this huge problem because they hadn't figured out how to fix it in his time. So they had to reset it with this new computer, right? I, 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 I'm going to be honest. I, I still don't understand what the IBM 5100 was going to do. Somebody tell that, us. That uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, yeah. Well. It actually, I don't know. When but, you go out and read it, it may... Yeah, mm. you can read it, and if... if code makes sense to you, you'll get it. It doesn't to me as many times as I read it in many versions. It, it's just that I just don't think that way. Yeah. For, but, but back to Teeter. He, he said that his reason for being in the year 2000 was for personal reasons. 
Over the period of about four months, he responded to questions from people who were posting on the forums. He described future events, but he always, and I got to admit, this is a pretty good thing that he did for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Is he always kind of gave the general disclaimer that there are multiple realities and alternate realities do exist. And so it's possible that we might not be in the same timeline as where he came from. Well, didn't mm-hmm. he describe the way that you have to time travel to without paradoxes yeah. in that yeah. way? Are you... we're, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to get and, to that. And obviously he's not on the same timeline as us because... IBM fixed the year 2038 That's problem. That's the first <laughs> thing that, that comes up there, I mean, yeah. But he, he talks about some things. Uh, he gives some dire warnings for everybody to learn first aid and stop eating beef because, well, mad cow disease is a huge, terrible problem in his time. In fairness, mm. it was a little it, bit of a thing for us, too. It was a little bit of a thing for <laughs> us, but it, evidently in his time is knocking people out left, right, and center. Although, again, in fairness, I'm not totally sure how first aid like helps with mad Mad cow disease, but okay. Uh, maybe he's talking about an apocalypse or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's that's where oh, that's okay. coming from. Okay. And we're going to get into that just in a moment. Okay. I just want to get a couple of other things that he gave information on. Sure. He provided a bunch of technical specs regarding how time travel worked, mm. which were, I, I read through a little bit of it. It's pretty interesting. Uh, he used some really complex algorithms. He, he gave some hard to understand images of his time machine and his time machine was pretty awesome because it was in a love it it, well the first one was in uh god what was it it was a car it was a uh, suburban well no it it eventually ended up yeah yeah he moved it to a suburban but it was in some kind of 70s sports car i want to say it was like a camaro or a corvette i love this thing man i love also that you know you need a car for it but you can just move it from car to car yeah awesome well it's just you know it's uh like the delorean back to the future except for that the delorean was integral to that time machine right it was embedded in the delorean whereas this thing was a huge box right do you have to do you have to like you know have a car so you can plug this thing into the cigarette lighter i think it's like to make it move with you that's how it ran it's on that cigarette plug connection so did he go to like a museum and and get himself a classic 70s car or why didn't he just um why didn't he grab a futuristic car and bring that back? That would have been much more cool. I think he wanted to blend in, right? If you're a time traveler, you want to blend in a little. Yeah, mm. you don't want to have a 2027 car. Mm. But also, maybe cars didn't 75. exist, really. In maybe a way that he could find one. Right? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's the hard thing. Is is he showed a lot of things that were plausible, but there wasn't a whole lot there to to really back up. The yeah, the cool the thing. other thing that he showed, of course, was his uh, his awesomely cool futuristic military insignia. I think it's kind of cool. It is. It it makes me think of something that's a cross between Stargate and NASA. Yeah, yeah, it totally does look like a kind of a space insignia that somebody would have come up with in the eighties. Yeah, you know, or you know, ripped off from an Air Force group or something yeah, like that. I mean, yeah. it's it's hard to say, but but like I said. Teeter, he made a lot of predictions uh, that that don't appear to have come true. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there, there were some great ones. He's got one left, which is that in this year, 2015, 
World War Three is going to break out, which I'm really hoping doesn't happen. It's always possible. Yeah, uh, no. I'm hoping it doesn't happen, too. Although, but, actually, when you look at it, the world is kind of going up in flames these days. Yeah. Well, there's here's I, I just want to call out a couple, that a handful that he gave note of. Mm-hmm. First one is that a civil war would break out in the U.S., and it would start with uh, civil unrest and take off in 2005. And would split the U.S. eventually into five separate regions with different leaders and objectives, which obviously hasn't happened. We didn't break up. In 2008, the 2008 Olympics would be canceled. That obviously didn't happen. They were in Beijing. Uh, He made a comment believe the comment was something along the lines of, have you figured out the overheating problem with your space plane? Space plane. He called it a space plane, Uh. which people have said was a reference to the space shuttle. Mm -hmm. Well, if you know your history, Columbia Space Shuttle disaster of 2003 was caused because a piece of insulating foam on the, uh, which rocket is it? It was the the main rocket that, mm. that no, no, lifts no, it no. off from the Earth. Uh-huh. The booster rocket, I think, is which one it was. Chunk of foam came off, hit the tip of the wing, caused a hole, which when the shuttle re-entered the atmosphere began to disintegrate because of the the friction and the heat and the pressure, which, of course, then caused the whole thing to disintegrate and kill everybody on board. Yeah, but I'm not willing to say that that's an overheating issue. Yeah, it's true that. That's an issue. That's more like an overheating and bursting in the flames and exploding. No, it's not. It's an issue of faulty equipment. It's just not secured right. Yeah, well, it, it, and they've they obviously fix this for mm-hmm. all future missions, but people have pointed uh-huh. to that as well. Look, he was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got another one where he said China would put a man into orbit, which was an easy one because yeah, yeah, yeah. just a matter it, of time. They did it in two thousand and three. Uh, this one that didn't come through was that CERN would discover time travel in the year 2001. You don't know that. And yeah. as far as you we know... You don't know that. It hasn't happened. Yeah. You don't know? They, well, no, you're right. I don't. They're not going to go telling tell anybody us. about it. Why no. would they? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Well, it, think about this. If you If you want to keep the existence of time travel under wraps and some guy goes out and blabs... You just get in the time machine, go back to the day before he blabs, and kill him. him. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's easy. We'd never know. Oh, wow. He slipped on a banana. His brakes failed. Or better still, you know, you go back to to a day before whoever briefed this guy on the time travel thing and just whisper to somebody, hey, don't tell him. He's a blabbermouth. (laughs) That's all set. You don't even need to kill anybody. Yeah, that's a much nicer way to go about it. Wow, Joe going the moral route. I don't usually do that. No, No, you better not do it anymore. The one thing that he did say, and and he well, and he did really well as we talked about. Yeah, we was, a little bit alluded to that. He talked about the fact that there was the the multiple timeline theory is mm-hmm. real, and that is why some of the things that he saw weren't the same at the time as what he knew should have been happening in two thousand. And just if. If you haven't seen a sci-fi show that talks about alternate reality or or how time can quote unquote split mm-hmm. into different realities, here's a very simplified version. You've got a coin in your hand and you flip it 
and it lands on heads. And your timeline continues on as you know it. But in an alternate one, the coin lands on tails and the timeline jogs off and it splits off from itself. And from there, you know that it's landed from tails. So now there's two. That's yeah. a very, very basic, basic no, that's, version. That, that about sums it up, though. And what it means is since, uh, since that things are... Things are happening one following one direction or the other all the time millions of times all, every second around the world which means we've got a lot of universes out there yeah well, there's i mean uh, there's the quantum physics theory right is that like all possibilities are happening at all time until your brain focuses on one and decides to see that one right mm-hmm. you can watch oh god what's the movie mm, what the bleep do we know do you guys did you guys ever see that oh yeah I... it's like a pretty metaphysical telling of quantum physics but also super accessible if you're interested a- anyways it's you know like i said it's a really easy accessible way to i guess kind of the start to wrap view. your head yeah you know if if that's something that may interest you i'm not saying it's you know comprehensive in any way but <laughs> yeah. uh you know so in that universe in that theory that you know the flip of the coin it the coin is literally infinite until it's schrodinger right schrodinger cat yeah yeah right same thing so all those millions of different universes yeah. all out there in the same time Got it. this is a solid solid explanation for it <laughs> yeah. yeah the right? uh, the thing about this the, the implication of the multiverse thing is so is that is that uh, so many new universes are being created every second by all the different all the different changes that go on I means that sooner or later we're going to run out of, essentially we're going to run out of uh, ram this and, is going to get real and metaphysical that's, that's when time is going to end real quick but there's a lot of stuff out there about time is just how your brain experiences your life it's not actually linear mm-hmm. therefore we won't run out of everything everything that could have ever possibly happened is happening all at once yeah that's true no there there is that theory and that there's a time travel theory from that is that you can because everything is happening all at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, we just, just time is just an illusion that helps us keep track of things and make sense of things. Yeah. That means that all you need to do is jump over to a multiverse to travel to a different point in time. Mm-hmm. And that's and, what Teeter did. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, and so essentially all you need to do is invent a teleportation device. Right. And exactly. we've already, and actually we've, we're already working on teleportation right here uh, on planet earth. We actually, you know, so it could happen. So maybe he did. Maybe maybe he, he did. The, the one thing that I and and I didn't really I was didn't grasp a lot of what you guys just talked <laughs> fair, about. What, fair. But the one thing that I really liked was the way that this applied, and he explained also. Everybody, I'm hoping has heard of the grandfather paradox. Futurama addresses it pretty solidly. Yep. Yeah. So the the grand if you ha- again if you haven't heard of it, the grandfather paradox was first described in in 1943, and it says a time traveler goes back in time and he kills his grandfather before his grandfather meets his grandmother. Problem is, of course, as a result of the time traveler can't have been born. Absolutely. So That's then his not... grandfather can't have been killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's this it's this paradox of to have one, you can't have the other. So that uh-huh. so but the alternate uh... reality thing solves that. Well, actually, and it doesn't need to need to be solved by alternate reality because you can go back. Yeah, you can go back in time, murder your grandfather. And not cease to exist because your grandmother had an affair and he's not actually your grandfather. Yeah, that's... that's or you can do Futurama just yeah. and just be your own grandfather. There is that. There is, yeah. There is that. Okay. Um, but essentially, yeah, he, he's from a different timeline. 
So that's why Great everything's defense. not going to work. Well, he, could also, he, could also, he could also argue that uh, because he's back here, you know, shooting his mouth off and saying stuff he probably shouldn't be saying. In he's the screwing back. up the timeline. He's screwing up the timeline. Yeah. And I don't know that he wasn't wanting to do that. But let's get into some of the, there's really kind of like the other ones, really just two theories, theories about this whole thing. Yep. Of course, A is that he really was a time traveler. Yep. And... I did, of course, look at the specs, and they make sense to me from a guy who doesn't know how time travel works. Sure. So it, it's impressively detailed, and there's there's some stuff in there that seems accurate. He he did kind of hit the mark on a few things, but he, like I said, the multiverse thing really defends him, so he could have been real. The problem, actually, that I read about the whole, you know, the science behind it and all that stuff, with the specs that he described, that that unit that he would have moved from car to car, I think they said would have weighed somewhere like or in the neighborhood of 1,500 pounds, mm-hmm. and that he claimed to have just moved it himself. Well, he never said he didn't have a forklift. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, in the, in, perhaps in the future, people are really strong. Really strong. He is a soldier. But so that was a, that was a problem that I saw presented fairly frequently was that people did look at the specs and kind of try and do the math and crunch the numbers on what that thing would have weighed at that point, And it was just huge. Well, and and the other thing is sitting that, on his seat, right? Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that he wasn't a scientist from his time. He was a soldier and then a farmer, according to him, who then got into the time travel program as an adult and was sent back. So yeah. his grasp of it might not have been 100% well, accurate. The, the specs that he posted were supposedly pictures that he took of the user manual. So that it doesn't have to be oh. that his understanding was wrong. It's, Good point. He just Good point. posted specs that he ostensibly had. And yep. He yeah. didn't have to understand what it meant. Yes. Uh, well, let's do the second theory on Tear. Okay. Which is... It's a hoax! Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah Turns exactly. out, Teeter didn't appear for the first time ever in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. He first appeared in 1998. Well, he's a time or traveler. Or at least the name turned up in 1998. Like with I said, he's fa- a time traveler, dude. He <laughs> can turn up all kinds of places. With faxes that were sent to the to Art Bell... Uh, at least uh, the first one, I believe, was on the 29th of July, 1998, and it claimed to be from someone who was a time traveler from the year 2034. Wait. Note, note the year difference. Yeah. He's uh-huh. a, ooh, okay. Two years difference, 2036 to Maybe 2034. Maybe he was just confused from the process of time traveling. Could be. He forgot what year he He wasn't completely from. materialized. Well, yeah. I don't know. He couldn't maybe. figure out how this fax machine thing worked. Yeah, maybe, he, maybe he, he actually was from the year 2034. Maybe that was the first time or the second time that he went back. <laughs> I don't know, but the person who said the facts made many similar claims about the future, but instead of talking about the year 2038 issue, the Unix issue, was making all kinds of claims about the Y2K issue Uh, that everybody was worried about at the time. That's a problem if you're going to go public in 2000. Yes. (laughs) Uh, there is a TV show called Voyager. It's an Italian TV show. Oh. And they investigated this. Bellissimo. <laughs> in 2008, they got a hold of a uh, private detective named Mike Lynch, who found that there was no registry uh, traces uh, 
present or past of a John Teeter or Teeter family. That's okay. He's from a different universe. But the thing is, Teeter said that he was from Florida and mm. nobody in that re that area that he looked for, that family name wasn't registered. But he did find a for-profit company called the John Teeter Foundation, mm. which was formed on the 16th of September 2003. Mm. It had no office. It was re- it, it had a PO box in Kissimmee. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that? I'm going to go for I'm going to go for Kissimmee. Mm. All right, Kiss, Kissimmee, Florida. There's there, there's no evidence anywhere of Teeter to be found. And the only person who happens to be the CEO of the John Teeter Foundation by the name of Larry Haber is the only person who ever seems to have met Teeter or mm. have any encounters with. In real life. In real life. In IRL. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. I was about to make the same joke. Yeah. The private detective... Kind of, he came to the conclusion that likely Teeter was a guy by the name of John Rick Haber, mm. who was the lawyer's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a computer scientist. He would have known about some of this, the things with the IBM 5100 and the Unix 2038 issue. And his name evidently is on a post office box application uh, for the John Teeter Foundation. Okay. So that's suspicious. There's a problem. So I'm I while I love the multiverse idea and that makes so much of this plausible mm-hmm. that private investigator for me at least kind of put the cap on this well i think the reason that it's important for us to do these stories and specifically for us as the skeptics i guess to do these stories is that i think that at least one of us but maybe all three of us believe in time travel and believe that the multiverse theory is at least plausible Mm. yeah it's what you just do Mm. as an existence human being but You know, that's the sort of thing is it's the same thing with those really bogus claims of aliens is it's really important to take head on the issues of time travel when somebody is just clearly just lying about it when it just debases any kind of real claims that may or may not come up. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah, I uh, I'm very skeptical about time travel. I mean, but you never know. Things that we thought were impossible 100 years ago, they're, they're happening now, so who the hell knows? Yeah, we have little devices in our phone that let us talk to people halfway across the world. That 100 uh, years ago didn't even exist. And you couldn't even have conceived it. It wasn't even conceivable, yeah. yeah. No, it really I wasn't know. conceivable. So, I, I mean, yeah. conversations with my 97-year-old grandmother fairly frequently where you know we yeah. talk about the podcast sometimes, and it's like, okay... Where do we start? All right. You know the radio. <laughs> it's kind of it's like, kind of like that. Works. But it's the internet. Do you know the internet? No? Okay. Uh, all right. Let's just, So you we know. put it on tape. So we... And then we mail it to everybody. Yeah. yeah. That's how we do it. You know, it, it, it's true. It's... Who yeah. knows? So Who we'll, knows? Yeah, we'll find out someday. Um, I'll I, live to 2038 easily. You guys probably will. I, I'm, I'm guessing I probably will. Unless yeah, I would imagine. So we'll find unless out. Unless you get hit by a bus or a uh, cab. Yeah, unless nuclear war breaks out this year. <laughs> this year. Yeah, yeah, we'll that find seems out. like a pretty We're big one. Big trouble. Yeah. We'll be poking our heads out of the rubble and going, hey, Tina was right. Oh, <laughs> no. Time travel does exist. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you if you're really wanting time travel to be a reality, then you've got to be hoping for nuclear war this year. Yeah, I guess. 
or yeah. it's a different universe, so it doesn't really matter. Mm. Multiverse. It's multiverse. Different multiverse. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Well, the other thing about, you would think if time travel existed in the future and they were sending people back to do things, to, to, to retrieve things or for whatever, on special missions, you would think that they would have brief them and say, hey, by the way, don't change, don't change the future. Don't, don't go. Don't monk. say anything. Don't stupid. say anything. Don't tell, you know, I mean, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, that, that if, would be the basic. Well, that's if time is truly linear. Mm-hmm. If it's a multiverse scenario, then who cares? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. As long as you come back to the right one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But you could screw up other timelines. But it doesn't matter. It's oh. not your timeline. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your parabox. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I guess with that, we're going to wrap it up. Yep. It's been an awesome adventure. An awesome through adventure. Through time indeed. and space. I still don't see why you needed an IBM 5100 computer. Listen, <laughs> I just go Google it. I'm sure it'll become very apparent. Uh-huh. Um, this episode, along with some of our research, is on the website, thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. You can... Leave us a comment there. You can also do some awesome stuff on that sidebar there. Uh, we've got t-shirts and phone cases. I just got my phone case. So if you live in Portland, you might be able to find me now, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, we've, yeah, we've got stuff on there. I still need to buy some. I yeah. still need to get my shirt. Yeah. Me too. Thank yeah. you to everybody who's bought a shirt, though. Yeah, for real. And also, thank you to everybody who's donated. A few standout donors are, let's see, Kathleen and Clarissa and Becca and Wendy have all donated recently, I think. Hey, guys. The chicks are showing you up. Come on. <laughs> I knew Joe was going to do that. that. Yeah. Also on our website, you can find this new thing that we have, which is transcripts. And those are all being transcribed by a woman by the name of Allison. Who Al- Allison is has done awesome. the, uh, yeah. all the ones that are on the site right now as yeah. of the recording of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Um, so if you, you know, want to read it or if you have any hearing impaired people or anything like that. The transcripts are right there. We can be a little hard to understand sometimes, particularly yeah. in our old episodes. So <laughs> yeah. that's a good resource there. Yeah. We um, need, to, we need so, to give her something. No, really. We'll have we'll to give her a t-shirt, I think. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see if she wants a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Allison, thanks a million. You're yeah, great. Absolutely. You're awesome. Thank you. Yeah. You. So you might be listening to us on the website, but probably not. You're probably listening to us on iTunes. That's where everybody's listening to us. If you are listening to us on iTunes, leave us a comment and a rating. That's how other people find us. Even if it's a bad rating and you hate that steve elongates his words <laughs> that's fine leave us a rating we like to hear what you guys have to say we kind of prefer nice ratings you we, know, i like mean of course stars. we prefer them but mm. do whatever you want it's a free country i hope your country is free too yeah. <laughs> you are you could also stream us on a just a crazy amount of different hosting sites i'm not even going to say any yeah, of them every one of them Let's yeah just say that all of them in the multiverse yeah yeah all of the multiverse ones you can find us on facebook find us friend us like us on facebook we've got the group and the page so do both of those you can find us on twitter think in sideways been maybe a little dormant recently but just okay it's cool yeah, just calm down none of us are busy ever it's yeah, fine we don't tweet um should. and you can always send us an email if you have feedback if you want to correct our science on any of these because i'm sure that there's some really messed up science that we talked about yeah, if, you're, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you are a uh, an expert on the ibm 5100 we would love to hear from you great yeah yeah there's lots of other stuff that we'd love to hear you f- hear from you about if you've got suggestions 
stop sending us weird murder suggestions, please. <laughs> no, no, no. Please con- continue such. Please send them. Uh, I, was, those. I was going to say, if you are a time traveler from the future, I would like to know if, if our podcast gets so huge that we eventually are offered like If we Bill movie, and Ted it. Or something like that, or if we become the basis of a whole society, yeah. or something like that, like yeah. Bill and Ted. I, we really kind of like to know. I mean, how big do we get? Are we going to be? Are we going to get bigger than cereal? We really <laughs> want to know. We want to know. So email us all of that. That email address is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail dot com. So with that, I think we're going to scoot on out of here. Back to the future, just in time. Be excellent to each other. Mm.